0: Revelation chapter 20. Let's begin in verse one. Then I saw an angel coming down from heaven, having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan and bound him for a thousand years. And he cast him to cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished. But after these things, he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus and for the word of God, who had not worshipped the beast or his image and had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. But the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. Blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection. Over such the second death has no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that we have it to turn to. We thank you that we have it to anchor our souls and to build us up. We want every part of your word to be applied by your spirit to our hearts. Would you illuminate your word to our hearts, Lord? Help our hearts to receive everything that you want to speak to us about, Lord. We pray that you would use this time, Lord, for our sanctification to make us more like Christ, to conform us to his image, Help us, Lord, to be hear- to hearers and doers of your word, not hearers only, deceiving ourselves. We're grateful, Lord, that as you walk in the midst of, of here, Lord Jesus, that you're here with us and you're ministering to us individually and corporately. We thank you that you want to be a- among us. We thank you that uh, we sense your presence here. And we thank you for all that you are. And we thank you that all- for all that you're doing in our lives. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. <clears throat> well, we're getting closer to finishing this amazing book. It's been a great journey. I wanted to ask just a show of hands how many of you uh, have been surprised by how easy it's been to understand? Yeah, there's been a lot of hands there. People are so intimidated. <gasps> I can't understand Revelation. There's no way. It's written in code. You know, it's, it's, uh, it's been encrypted. And there's been, you know, these secrets revealed. I mean, oh man, the supermarkets and the tabloids and the History Channel, they have a field day with Revelation. They know that people have an interest in it. They know that even unbelievers sense that this is going somewhere. That there's going to be an end to all of this. And they want to know exactly how it's going to end. What's going to happen in that context. And so, um, one of the reasons why... It's been clearer to you. It's not because I'm a great teacher. It's because of our interpretation method that we've been using. Remember in the very beginning in chapter 1, I went over how we were going to approach revelation. I wanted you to understand the rules for biblical interpretation relate and how it relates to prophecy. We went over that. And if you haven't heard that, go back and listen to that. You'll see uh, kind of how, or hear rather, how we approach this book. Because the main approach that you should take related to prophecy, or any book actually, in the Bible, is that we need to approach it as, as if uh, it's literal or, or take a literal approach unless we have good reason not to. And also we've used fulfilled prophecy as our guide. How did he fulfill previous prophecies, specifically related to his first coming how did he fulfill those were they all allegorical or were they some most of those literal they were literal and and we have to look at time frames and all of that we need to pay attention to john saying it was like this and then other times he says it was this it wasn't like that it was this it was just plain this that makes a difference in understanding things but the biggest reason, I believe, is that we've looked at the Old Testament to provide the puzzle pieces to the framework of the puzzle or the frame or the border of the puzzle of the book of Revelation. The pieces are found in the Old Testament. And we've gone back to bring those pieces in, something that the Jews back then would have had a working knowledge of, wouldn't have been even quite, it wouldn't even have been hard for them to understand. They would have known that this is what John's referring to being grounded in the Old Testament. Now, chronologically, we've just finished seeing uh, a few weeks ago that Battle of Armageddon and and the Antichrist uh, basically having problems with other rulers at that time. At the very end, them coming all together to fight him in Israel from the north, from the from the east and so forth. And then they see Christ coming with us behind him and they have this great idea that they're going to fight Jesus they actually have a chance to beat God who's coming down on a white horse from heaven that's even that, that that that's even possible is is the definition of insanity related to what they were engaged in so we all also have seen that false prophet and the antichrist tossed into the lake of fire and then we've seen Christ come back to earth in great power and glory just like he said with us coming behind him we were told the armies of heaven you didn't ever, if you've never been part of the military, you're going to be part of a military. The armies of heaven coming behind him. So we've kind of seen this timeline. We've seen you know, the rapture of the church and then the seven year tribulation, the first three and a half years there, uh, the antichrist comes into power and so forth. There's the pseudo peace and everything. Then he goes into the the temple that they're planning on building now that they haven't built yet in Israel. He's going to go into that and defile it. He's going to proclaim himself to be God. Then God's wrath is going to be poured out on this earth even more. And then Jews are going to be scattered and so forth. And then he's going to have problems with other militaries in the world holding it all together, like I just mentioned. And then the second coming happens. And then there's the thousand-year millennium that we're going to look at today a little bit. And then after that, the great white throne judgment and um, the new heavens and the new earth are made. So that's kind of like the chronology of what we've been looking at in case you're new or you have forgotten or you just needed someone to say it again. (laughs) That's what I'm here for. So... Uh, now so we're going to see today that Satan's going to be bound for a thousand years. We're going to see Christ uh, reign on this earth for a thousand years. We're going to see Satan loosed again. This all has to happen before the new heaven and the new earth uh, are created. Satan's going to be loosed again and deceive the very few who want to rebel. Because everybody that goes that that everyone that is on this earth when the when Christ comes back, the only 25 percent of the world's population is going to be alive. And when he comes back, they're all going to become believers. So everyone's going to enter in the millennium as believers. But those people are going to have, I'm talking about the people that haven't got their new bodies, not us. We're talking about the people that are on this earth when he comes back. Those people are going to continue to live. They're going to have children and so forth. And they're going to have sinful natures when they're born. And they're going to have to make a decision for Christ and so forth. So eventually, even though lifespans are going to be very, 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 very long in the millennium, and we'll look at that in a minute. Uh, there's still going to be people that rebel and and don't want to uh, follow Christ, even though they're being ruled perfectly, flawlessly in a righteous way in this world. uh, They still want to rebel. And and you may think, well, why? I mean, that's that's it's just a, 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 you know, a perfect environment. But so was heaven when Lucifer fell and on earth. So was Eden when Adam and Eve fell. So the problem is is with us. It's not with environment. Environment does contribute sometimes to things that give us a propensity one way or the other for sin, but we don't need any help. Free will can choose what's evil um, in a perfect environment. We've seen that. So they're not they're not going to have a perfect environment, but they're going to have a really good environment in the millennium, and they're still going to choose to rebel. So we're going to see that. We're going to see Satan being judged. Amen. Can't wait to see that. And then we're going to see the great white throne judgment and all those whose names are not found written in the Lamb's book of life will be cast in the lake of fire where the Antichrist and the false prophet are. So those are the events that we still have to go through to be able to reach the talking, talking about the new heaven and the the new earth. So the first event that we're going to cover here is the binding of Satan. Notice the preparation for it in verse 1. We're told this, then... I saw an angel coming down from heaven having the key to the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. Now when John first sees this he doesn't know what he's going to do with this chain and he doesn't know uh, you know what's what the this angel has in mind with this great chain. He sees it he ends up seeing it but he can you imagine his response like wow what's he doing with the big chain uh this big angel and so he doesn't know and then notice it's an anonymous angel who binds him it's not Gabriel it's not Michael who's actually has a responsibility over Israel as as an archangel it's not any of them it's an anonymous angel it's Barney the angel you know it's uh, Clarence the angel, I don't know, they may make up a name, it's just a, its just an angel, we've seen, you know, just an angel having one foot on the sea, one foot on the land, I mean, these gigantic, huge, powerful angels, so I'm not minimizing how amazing they are, I'm just saying it's not any very special angel in the sense of being identified, because God isn't afraid to identify angels by name, he does it many times in scripture, so this is just an anonymous Angel, it's not it's not a legion, it's not a hundred angels, it's not a it's not ten angels, it's not two or three angels, it's one angel. To all this take Satan is bound, it all it takes is one anonymous angel. Verse two. He laid hold of the dragon, that serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. There's no struggle. Like, oh, I almost, I oh, just trying super hard and I finally got to bind him after weeks of struggle and battle and I almost didn't make it. And then I finally pulled it off at the last second. I was like a comeback uh, situation, you know, where I came back from behind. It's just, no, it's, an, it's Barney just coming in there and just one angel and, and just doing the thing that God told him to do. Satan's an angel. Satan's a fallen angel. And sometimes we put him in a completely different category and somehow think that it's like the same category as God and, and he's the opposite of God. He's not the opposite of God. There's two categories in this, in this beyond even beyond this universe. And he, there's the infinite and there's the finite. There's an infinite distance between the two. And Satan is just a fallen angel. He's finite. And so it's not this big, huge struggle now god gives us four descriptions of satan and there's a reason for it in verse two and they're not there by accident he calls him the dragon he calls him the serpent of old he calls him the devil and he calls him satan and the dragon speaks of his ferociousness and how cruel he is and so forth we have serpent of old which speaks of his deceit and not just his deceit but the length of his deceit in other words through all of man's history this one that's being bound has been deceitful he has a long track record of being deceitful but then he uses the word devil which means accuser the devil accuses he accuses us before god he he slanders us he says things that aren't true he also says things that are true that aren't that are that are bad about us and he says so he's telling the truth sometimes when he when he accuses us but the thing is for christians the blood of christ has been applied to our account. And Jesus is our defense attorney. We have an advocate. First John chapter, uh, chapter one and two talk about it. We have an ad- ad- advocate with the Father, and He is our defense attorney. So He's He's been accusing mankind all this time. He's been deceiving man all this time. He's been ferocious and sparing no one, having no mercy all this time. But also Satan means adversary. He's been an adversary to us all through the history of mankind. And God wants to, he could have just said one of those titles, but I believe he chose all four of them to say, it's not just one name that represents how bad this, this fallen angel is. Four names properly describe all that he's done, the havoc that he has caused on mankind, and he is getting bound. It speaks of how, how what basically the, the extent of how much better it's going to be for this millennium, this thousand years Of Christ setting up his kingdom in this world. There won't be anyone accusing us. There won't be anyone deceiving us. There won't be anyone being our adversary. There won't be anyone uh, being cruel or or being ferocious against us. He's going to be bound. Now notice also in verse 2. It's the first time thousand years is mentioned. And in the first seven verses of this chapter. A thousand years is mentioned six times. And even with all of that people still refuse to believe that the millennium will be a literal thousand years. And I want you to know, the, you know, there's like basically three major positions that people take. And I want you to be familiar with them because there's books written about them, there's blogs, there's people online, there's messages, there's people on TV that are saying these different things. And I want you to know just a brief understanding of what those different positions, uh, uh, categories are and how people kind of divide their theology in that way. Premillennial is what we are. We believe there's a literal thousand-year reign of Christ in between the seven-year tribulation and the new heaven and the new earth. So that's our position. It's the correct one. Okay. Then there's then there's the amillennial position. And for me, it's not because people go ah, that's that's a better position. Okay, It's millennial because ah means no or without or non. So they're saying no millennium. And so they believe Christ is reigning right now and Satan is bound. Enjoying that? Are you enjoying that? That little Christ reigning right now? He's reigning in the sense that he's at sovereign and he's in control, but Satan's not bound at all. I would hate to see if he wasn't bound what it would be. So it's been famously said, if Satan is bound right now, then he sure has uh, a chain that's way too long (laughs) because I'm feeling it and I'm feeling we see evil in this world all the time. So basically they allegorize a thousand years and they say it means a, 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 you know, something else like it's a, it's, it's not literal and so forth. And so that's, that's actually very popular. It's very popular right now to believe that, that God is reigning right now. Jesus is reigning uh, in this world and Satan is bound and, 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 um, I'm sorry I can't I can't do it then there lastly there's the post-millennialism which is basically called kingdom now theology where basically we are building to a Christian utopia we're going to Christianize the whole world we're going to become a theocracy and and that all has to happen so when Christ comes back to this world he's coming back to a a world that's been completely converted or or at least greatly christianized and so forth and and you know we have heaven on earth so to speak and then he comes back and i i just i just don't see that and the reason why i don't see it in for the for actually for the most part or, or mainly is because there's all kinds of teachings in the new testament about the falling away that has to happen That many in the last days will will fall away. There'll be deceivers there. They will heap up teachers for themselves. It's going to get more and more. There's going to be more and more unbelief going on in this world before Christ comes back. There may be some discovery that makes it look like or it appears like uh, very convincingly from the natural mind. That somehow the Bible's been completely disproven or the resurrection is false or something really, really from the outside looks very very convincing and a lot of people just use as an excuse to to fall away and so it's going to get worse and worse and worse so to be a premillennialist like we are where we believe in a literal thousand year reign of christ it's actually very difficult it's very hard it's tricky it's complex you actually have to believe that a thousand years means a thousand years it's incredibly hard to pull off you just have to uh, you know, it takes tremendous amount of faith and concentration and, and precision mentally to, to pull this off. But you have to believe that it's a thousand years. So we need to know that. Now, the containment of Satan continues in verse three. It says, and he cast him into the bottomless pit and shut him up and set a seal on him so that he should deceive the nations no more till the thousand years were finished but after these things, he must be released for a little while. So he begins and says he cast him, this anonymous angel, Barney or Clarence or whatever his name is, cast him into the bottomless pit. I remember in Batman with Adam West, he, they're, they're right there with Catwoman. She's getting ready to, she's almost falling in the bottomless pit. And she gets, she's, she's clawing, trying to get out and she falls. And then Batman says to Robin, old chum, I think she actually went right to the bottom. I remember that. Bottomless pits. I mean, it's hard for us to understand. Some of you are just getting that. Uh, so that's hard for us to understand and comprehend a bottomless pit, but he already talked about the abyss. He's talked about this, where these creatures come out. Remember that when we saw these, these demonic beings come out and sting and torture men for five months and they can't die even if they try to kill themselves and so forth. So this is a holding place. We're told in Peter that there's these spirits that sinned back in the days of Noah, a lot of people believe that e- e- demons possessed men or became like this composite uh, combination of man and demon where they, they sinned and they, they had relations with women and so forth. And God judged them and put them in, pr- in chains, spiritual chains, until the time that, that they would be finally um, cast into the lake of fire. And so this is, this is what he's getting at, that, that, that this, this bottomless pit is a holding tank. And it says there in verse 3, and shut him up. Now, we can think of that as like made him stop talking, but he's not talking about that. He's, he's talking about physically encasing him or incarcerating him in a, in a very specific place where he can't get out. There's no struggle. There's no angel, like, almost not being able to hold him there. It's just like, you're here. It's, it's a timeout, okay? But it's way, way worse than that. It's, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's judgment to him it's not his final judgment but it's still judgment and notice he says and he set a seal on him there's a seal and those seals there was a seal put on the Lord Jesus's tomb the Roman seal that basically said you mess with this you're messing with the Roman uh, uh, empire and you better not even think about it and you could be killed at that time for messing with a roman seal we're all this same word is used for us related to how we're sealed with the holy spirit in in ephesians chapter one that god has placed his ownership on us and he has sealed us saying i claim this person as a child of mine as a son or a daughter and so that's encouragement to us because we see here the satan doesn't get out and so we are sealed too and nothing's going to separate us from the love of Christ. Nothing from without can remove us from that place. And notice he's there so for a reason there, middle of verse 3, so that he should deceive the nations no more. We think about that. We think about who's running the nations. Who's, who's pulling the strings related to this world? The United Nations. The, the summits and all these times where these Leaders come together and they talk about what they're what we're going to do as a as a world and the world government that they're working towards and so forth. And we see who's really behind all of those things. It's Satan. God's word says Satan deceives the nations, not just government leaders, but individuals as well, because really the word nation is talking about people groups and so forth. But there is an organization to those people groups. And the leadership of those things are under the power, unless they're believers, they're under the power of uh, the deception of Satan. And then he says it lasts for a certain period till the thousand years were finished. There's a timetable that God has. God's the one calling the shots. He's not out of control. He's not trying to hold all this together. There's a, a finite period of time that he says this has to happen for and nothing's going to get in the way. And when it's finished, there's a reason why I'll release him, which he's going to get into. But until then, he's not going anywhere. Now You have to picture a world like that, where there's no demons, there are no, there's no Satan. It'd be a completely different place, just that alone. To say nothing of all the other things that will exist that we'll get into a little later. And then the end of the verse, he says, but after these things, he must be released for a little while. And you're like, well, why? Why? (laughs) Why does Satan have to be released? And it notice he says must. He must be released. And this speaks to man's will. This speaks to God honoring our will. Part of being created in God's image is having volition, is having the capacity to choose. And remember, these children of these people that survived the tribulation are going to be born with sinful natures, and they're going to have children. I don't think there's going to be that many generations at all, because even though it's a thousand-year span, people live hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years during this time. So I don't believe there's going to be anything more than, you know, one or two generations, but people will still uh, want to rebel. And so... Satan is involved in all of that. It's part of giving people the choice. It's part of solidifying that they're really choosing what they're choosing because of their own free will. God honors that. So he says he must be released for a short time or a little while because he's, he's, he knows that people want to have made that decision. They're going that direction. And that will fully give them the capacity to make that decision so that everybody else that hasn't made that decision that isn't going that direction, that is submitting to God, that they are genuine because they've had a choice. Remember, God's the one that put the garden of the knowledge of good and evil in the middle of the garden of Eden. He didn't have to do that. But they had to have a choice. To have the virtue of choice related to choosing God and walking with God, there had to be another alternative. Or else we're just robots saying the words, I love you. If if you have children and they say, I love you, and there's no choice, it means nothing. So there has to be a choice. God is supplying the choice. Satan is a part of those people having the capacity to choose him or not choose him. And so that's why he must be released for a little while. And I saw thrones and they sat on them and judgment was committed to them. Then I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded for their witness to Jesus. Interesting how we're seeing more and more beheadings these days. And for the word of God. Who had not worshipped the beast or his image. And had not received his mark on their foreheads or on their hands. And they lived and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So John is seeing thrones. And those that sat upon them were entrusted. They were tasked or um, given a stewardship of Judgment. And he doesn't forget, when he's talking about these ones that had been beheaded, they, they were, they're tribulation saints. There's really three categories. There's Old Testament saints, there's New Testament saints, and there's tribulation saints. And they really will be uh, designated, I'm not saying name tags or whatever, but I mean, God identifies them. And he blesses them in a certain way, because of what they endured and notice he goes through all the effort to mention all these things. He could have just said those tribulation saints who were victorious against Antichrist, but he itemizes all these things. he says they were beheaded that they they uh, for their witness and the and for the word of God they didn't worship the beast or his image, and they didn't take the mark on their foreheads or on their hands and and so he's saying this is they were given something they were given blessing they were given responsibility but it's not just them the lord jesus also spoke of others that would sit on thrones and the writers of the new testament spoke of it as well jesus said to the disciples in matthew 19 verse 28 you have followed me in the regeneration when the son of man will sit on his glorious throne you also shall sit upon 12 thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel also we're told that New Testament believers are also promised again that they will reign with Christ we have been promised that we will reign with Christ 1st Corinthians chapter 6 verse 2 Paul said do you not know that the saints will judge the world and also Paul said this in 2nd Timothy chapter 2 verse 12 if we endure we will also reign with him and in Revelation chapter 2, we've already seen this as we went through the letters of the second uh, seven churches. In verse 26, Jesus promised this. He who overcomes and he who keeps my, my word until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations. And in, and then lastly, in Revelation chapter 3 verse 21, he continues and he says, He who overcomes, I will grant to him to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my Father on His throne. And then in Revelation chapter 5, verse 10, we're told, uh, You have made them to be king, a kingdom of priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. So we are being prepared to rule and reign with Christ. And that's a great responsibility. We will be tasked and entrusted with certain things related to This millennium and uh, during this millennium, how it's set up and the different regions and so forth, we will have responsibility. And he's preparing us right now for that. I've said this many times. I just want to say it again. Whenever we get to heaven, he will be adding to what we already are. We don't become something entirely new with new information or new knowledge or brand new uh, understanding of everything. He will add a lot Far more than what we can even imagine right now. He will add to what and who we already are. So he's preparing us for heaven right now. Part of going through revelation means that God is preparing us for heaven because we're seeing it. We're understanding it. We're understanding a lot of it, not all of it. In fact, some of it I believe is revealed to create that thirst and that appetite for heaven. But we, he is preparing us for that responsibility right now. He's adding to us all those things in the future. And so he's. we're going to reference things from our life now. We're going to remember lessons that we've learned from this life, then. And, and we are going to be uh, rewarded and blessed at the, at the uh, judgment seat of Christ when we are given our rewards and given our crowns and all of those things. Those are going to be connected to very specific things that we did for him and why we did them for him in this world it's going to be a reference point for us and he can't wait he can't wait to be able to bless us with those rewards now i did want to speak to some details related to the millennium so we know what's coming Um, the nation of israel is actually restored in terms of its borders and all the land that god originally gave abraham far more than what they have right now they are given all of their land that god promise to Abraham and others so that's the first thing the second thing is it will be a time where the Gentile nations worship uh, Jesus as the king we're told that in Isaiah chapter 11 Micah chapter 4 verse 2 and Zechariah chapter 14 and there's righteousness and peace and this world is governed and ruled flawlessly and perfectly and righteously by Jesus himself from Jerusalem And it's a completely different... Aren't you looking forward to that? I mean, I can't wait for that. I'm tired of sinful man not being able to govern correctly and always being self-seeking and so forth and and doing what's best for them. It's not going to be that way anymore. Jesus is going to rule and reign this world. He's going to rule with with an iron rod, we're told. He's going to rule... Effectively and purpose and and um, with a purpose and flawlessly. Now, physically, the curse will be lifted. We're told that in Isaiah chapter eleven, verse seven through nine, Isaiah chapter thirty, verses twenty-three and twenty-four, and Isaiah chapter thirty-five, verses one and two, and verse seven. And the Apostle Paul talked about in Romans chapter eight that the creation is eagerly waiting and groaning, waiting for the liberation of itself, to where the curse will be lifted. We're also told in Joel chapter 2, verses 21 through 27, I'm just giving you all these references for writing it down or, or later reference or whatever, that food will be plentiful, that there won't be people that are poor and hungry anymore. Food will be very, very plentiful. And our physical health and well-being will be um, amazing in terms of how long we live. And I'm going to read a few verses in a moment. But also the animal kingdom will completely be different. Uh, at that point, I want to read a passage from Isaiah chapter 11, verses six through eight. It says the wolf shall dwell with the lamb when was the last time you saw that. Usually the lamb will dwell with the wolf, but just in his stomach. Uh, so uh, the, the leopard shall lie down with the young goat, the calf and the young lion and the fatling together. Can you imagine seeing a young little calf and a little young lion hanging hanging out? just playing and so forth. And a little child will lead them. Johnny, I told you to quit leading the the lion around. Put the lion back where it's supposed to be, okay? This is not your time to do that. I mean, can you imagine a child being able to to do that? It's crazy just to think about. And then it says, The cow and the bear will graze. Their young ones shall lie down together, and the lion shall eat straw like the ox. Can you imagine that? A lion eating straw like the ox. The nursing child shall play by the cobra's hole. Hey, mothers, you imagine that? You know, hey, honey, go and play by that cobra hole. You know, where there's that snakes in there, that deadly snake. Go ahead and play by that. It's no big deal. you imagine that? And the wean's child shall put his hand in the viper's den. I would have tried that as a kid. What's in there? <laughs> Boom, you know. I put my hand in a can once. You know, a, a, a can, I mean, a metal can, trying to get something out of it. And I'm turning like this, trying to get it out there, and just cutting my hand, you know. Just kids in their brilliance. Um, now, I want us to turn real quick, just hold your place here, and turn with me over to Isaiah chapter 65. Isaiah is a pretty big book. Isaiah chapter 65, I want to begin reading in verse 18. But be glad and rejoice forever in what I create. For behold, I create Jerusalem as a rejoicing and her people a joy. I will rejoice in Jerusalem and enjoy in my people. The voice of weeping shall no longer be heard in her, nor the voice of crying. No more shall an infant from there live but a few days, nor an old man who has not fulfilled his days. For the child shall die 100 years old, but the sinner being 100 years old shall be accursed. They shall build houses and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards and eat their fruit. So it's going you're going to be considered... A child that dies at 100 is going to be considered dying at, a, at a, as a child. I mean, it's, I mean, a person dying at 100 is going to be considered a child. You can turn back to Revelation. So, our, the the whole the whole age, our whole age, uh, the way that we age and so forth is going to be altered and changed. So, animals are going to be different. The curse is going to be lifted. We are going to live way way longer. I mean, humans are going to live way 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 longer there, and the whole world is just going to be completely different and this isn't even heaven it isn't even heaven yet it's amazing can't even imagine it now look at verse 5 in revelation 20 it says but the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished this is the first resurrection so the first resurrection remember the, the scriptures tell us that the lord jesus was the first fruits of the resurrection he was the first one That was raised. Now he wasn't the first one resurrected. Because he resurrected people. In his public ministry. In the Old Testament people got raised from the dead. So he wasn't the first one raised from the dead. He was the first one with a glorified body. Two different things completely. Jesus is the first one with a glorified body. And so from that time on. The first resurrection is anyone that's raised. That receives a glorified body. All the way up until. uh, This time. And then. After that, and I'm talking about all the way up until the, uh, you know, the, the, the great white throne judgment there. So that's the first resurrection. In other words, everyone re- resurrected or received a glorified body in Christ, from Christ, all the way to the great white throne judgment. That's the first resurrection. Verse 6, blessed and holy is he who has part in the first resurrection, over such the second death has no power so when it says in verse five that the rest of the dead did not live again until the thousand years were finished he's talking about a body because those that die right now not in christ they go to hades in the center of the earth and and that's where they're kept and they're being kept there until the great white throne judgment that we're going to get to lord willing next week Then they're going to be resurrected with with a body, that a physical body, just like we're going to have a physical body. They're going to be resurrected in a physical body specifically for the the reception of their judgment, to receive their judgment, but also to endure that judgment for eternity. So they're going to get a brand new body too, but it's for uh, to be judged. And so the dead did not live again until that thousand years were finished and so forth. But then he says that we're blessed and holy if we're part of the first resurrection. If, we, if we're in Christ and we receive our new body and so forth, that the second death has no power. What's important to understand is the word death in Greek, the original language that the New Testament was written in, means separation. That's what the word death means in the New Testament. It means separation. So when we physically die, Jesus referred to it as sleep for believers. But when we physically die, we're separated from our body. Our spirit goes on, Whether it goes to heaven or it goes to Hades right now, it goes on, but our body stays. There's a separation. But the second death is being separated from God for all eternity in an eternal lake of fire. Now, I didn't make up the eternal lake of fire. Jesus talked about it. He's revealed it in his word. So if you have a problem with that, and I'm not saying it's easy to understand how God could do all that and and how all that works and so forth, But God's the one that's decided to do it. So we have to go by scripture. So this second death is being separated from God at that great white throne judgment, cast into the lake of fire, and separated from him. That's the second death. The first death is physical. The second death is spiritual. And the famous saying goes, if you're born once, you die twice. If you're born twice, you die once. So you die twice in the sense that you die physically, and then you die spiritually or we're born once physically and then if we're born twice born spiritually then we only die once because we just have a physical separation we don't have that second death and notice in the beginning of verse 6 he says but they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him there's that word reign again reign with him a thousand years so what's a priest priest is a worshiper first of all I'm convinced that King David would have traded in being king and prophet if he could to be a priest. He was a worshiper, wrote the Psalms, and he loved to worship. That's just an opinion of mine. It's just right. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But he was a worshiper. But the priests, they represented God to man, and they represented man to God. They were a mediator. They were in between. God doesn't have any office of priest in the New Testament. You won't find that in the sense of an office, like a pastor teacher or a prophet or an evangelist, those things that we see in Ephesians uh, chapter four, there's no priest, there's no Pope, there's no any of those other things. Okay. So if we're going by scripture alone, we're not going to see that there's no mediator between God and man. Okay. But Peter talks about us as believers being, having a Royal priesthood because as believers, we represent God to people at our work, at our schools, at our, everywhere we go, in our families. We are representing God to people, and then we're representing them to God in the sense of intercession and helping them connect them to God. So we are priests, but we are going to uh, rule and reign with him as priests. Now, we're priests now in that sense that I just mentioned, but this will be more of an oversight, more of an official office-type position that we will have um, they're priests of God and of Christ, and we shall reign with him a thousand years. So the, the preparation starts now. The preparation starts now to be, to be adding to what he's already entrusted to us in terms of our knowledge of him and our character and our ministry, all the things that he's given us to be a part of. Those things are building and those things are bringing us closer and closer to be prepared to see him face to face, receiving a new body, receiving all kinds of more information and and all of those things. But it starts now. It doesn't start then when we get our new bodies. He's just adding at that point, adding to what to who we already are. And so looking at this, it just makes us want to be with him now. Just think about the 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 world, how the world would be different. And, and it's coming. And there has, there's, there's a finite amount of Gentiles that need to be saved. The fullness of the Gentiles, Paul talked about, needs to come in. There's an, a finite number. There's an exact number that God knows. When that last Gentile comes to know him, then it's all. then the rapture happens and we go up. And if you're here today and you are holding out on us and you're keeping us from going up. No, I'm just kidding. But part of what we're called to do is to preach the gospel, to be busy about his business, to be evangelists that he's called us all to, related to obeying the Great Commission, doing our part, and then that brings us even closer. And so we'll be ready to meet him, we'll be ready to, uh, to be a representation of him in this world with new bodies. Can you imagine being a representative of him without a sinful nature? Amazing. Never getting in the flesh again. You never have a flesh flare up in your new body. It's not going to happen. You're going to be patient. You're going to be, it's just, it's, it's going to be heaven. That's what it's going to be. And a thousand years, I mean, think about a thousand years, how long that is. A thousand years ago, it's 2015 right now. So just think about um, it would be a thousand fifteen. That would be a thousand years ago. What's happened in human history since a thousand fifteen? That's a long time. And for that whole entire time, Satan is going to be bound. Satan is going to be bound and the demons are going to be bound and so forth. And we're going to rule and reign on this earth with him. And so the preparation starts now. And then the last encouragement I'll give you before we close is this. An anonymous angel, one angel, no struggle, binds Satan. So God is our strength. We're told to resist the devil and he'll flee from us. Nowhere in scripture we're we told to bind Satan. Not there. All through the New Testament, you won't find that we're called to bind Satan. So we're called to resist him. We're called to trust God, to focus on God, to talk more to God than we do demons. As a new Christian, I was talking to demons and doing all this stuff. And I'm like, I think someone pointed out to me, why are you talking to demons so much? Talk to God. I mean, God is so much more powerful. So if you feel like you're beat down and you're been oppressed and all these things and you're seeing that there's like this tug of war back and forth and God wins sometimes and sometimes he does he always wins we just have to appropriate the power that he's given us to live the supernatural life with his resurrection power flowing through our lives every single day but we can't do that if we're not spending time with him and communing with him and walking with him and talking with him and worshiping him and and, and being in fellowship with other believers that's where we get our strength And that's what he's called us to, to to get our strength from every place that he has available for us to be able to live the life he's called us to live. Amen? Let's pray together.